Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Welcome to the Related Podcast. My name is Carly Bible. And my name is Amanda Bible. And we are two sisters that are obsessed with inner and outer beauty and everything in between. We hope to inspire you and bring you behind the scenes to discuss all things related to our lives. And nothing is off limits. <laughs> you can download new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. All right, let me tell you about our friends at Magnesium Breakthrough. There is one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of. That is magnesium, the body's master mineral. Over 300 reactions. But there are two big problems. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And most supplements only contain one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are at least seven. That's why I want to tell you about the magnesium product that we are now called the best ultimate magnesium supplement, Magnesium Breakthrough, easily the best out there with all seven forms of this mineral. Even more excitingly, it is back in stock. Magnesium Breakthrough has been selling faster than the company who makes it by optimizers, faster than they can keep up with it by optimizers. So we have it now back in stock. It is sold out a few times due to the sharp supply shortages with everything going on in the world. And it will be sold out again shortly in all likelihood. The team here at Coral Enterprises and Dr. Drew were able to arrange some stock to be set aside just for our audience. It is the best deal available on this product. Seriously, with volume discounts combined with our customer 10% coupon code, that code is DREW10, Dr. Drew10. With all that, you can save up to 40% off select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. Again, that coupon code 10% off, Dr. Drew10. And other deals at magbreakthrough, M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com slash Drew. You will not find this deal at Amazon or even at the company's own website. You've got to go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. The deal is exclusive for our podcast listeners, and it is for a limited time while supplies last. They have completely revamped their checkout process. It is much friendlier and easier. Magnesium Breakthrough is the most effective magnesium supplement out there. Say goodbye to having to buy multiple different bottles of magnesium to get the complete spectrum. Go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use the coupon code DrDrew10 to save up to 40% off select packages and get the most full spectrum and effective magnesium product out there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, keep the sales f- uh, full here at the Corolla Pirate Ship. We appreciate you guys supporting the people that support us very, very much. Uh, again, check out drdrew.com. All the other pods are there, as well as the streaming shows we're doing. Try to give you guys updates on everything that's going on. My very privilege today is to welcome Dr. Daniel Amen. His new book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent reverse mood and anxiety disorders, ADHD, addictions, PTSD, psychosis, personality disorders, and more. You can follow Dr. Amen at Amen Clinics, A-M-E-N.com, also at Dr. Amen on Twitter. And Gary, the last time Dr. Amen visited us, do you have the number of that episode by chance? I will pull the number up for you, but I believe it was back in 2013. Fair enough. Dr. Amen, welcome to the program. Oh, what a joy to see you. You as well, sir. T- tell me about the book. What's, what's new in the book? What are we going to learn? Well, I'm just, you know, I actually didn't like the term mental illness 40 years ago, and I've just come to hate it because it's stigmatizing, it's demeaning, and it's wrong. And what I've learned, so we've been doing brain imaging work for the last 30 years, and one of the first things it taught me is that most psychiatric problems are actually not mental health issues at all. Rather, they are brain health issues that steal people's minds. And this one idea just changes everything. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. We have terrible brain healthy habits in this country. And most psychiatrists you go see never talk to you about your diet or your level of exercise, um, how much you sleep. I mean, things that really support brain function, but they're very quick with the 15-minute med check that has just, I think, damaged psychiatry. When I was trained, 
in the late 1970s and early 1980s, we actually had time with our patients. We actually saw them every week until they were well. And now, you know, in 15 minutes, people are expected to like do this or that. We really work more for the pharmaceutical companies than for our patients. That's true. I'm having a flashback to, to an episode. You got you and I were on the Dr. Oz show, and we were talking about, I think we were talking about obesity and inflammation. And the reason I'm having this flashback is that, uh, isn't it really interesting that obesity and cytokine activation seems to be the big problem, or at least one of the big problems with the coronavirus? No, no question about it. In fact, obesity is a major risk factor for mortality. And 72% of the countries overweight, now 40% are obese. It's the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States. I published two studies. I'm getting ready to publish two more. As your weight goes up, the physical size and function of your brain goes down which should scare the fat off anyone. <laughs> and belly fat produces these inflammatory cytokines. And so you can just imagine the storm that the coronavirus, your body's response to that does, but you're already loaded with cytokines. It's not a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's like it spills over. I think of like a waterfall activation and so then it becomes its own disease process. In in the book, um, you you're talking about something called brain type, uh, and what can you do to optimize that type? What, tell me more about that. Well, I know you deal with addictions a lot, and right away when I started imaging people, I went, "Oh, ADD is not one thing; it's seven different things. Anxiety and depression is not one thing." Giving you know everybody Prozac makes some people better and makes a whole bunch of other people worse. And then when I looked at our addicts, I went, oh, just give everybody the same program. I mean, that's, you think of AA or NA. It's like, just give everybody the same program that has actually nothing to do with the brain. Um, And so I went and I subtyped addictions. They're impulsive addicts. Think of our ADD group. They're compulsive addicts where they can't stop their behavior. They're sad addicts. They're anxious addicts. There's addicts that had head trauma and so they can't control their behavior. Um, Please don't give everybody the same program where you don't understand the biology. And then I went, well, sort of we're all different. And based on our imaging work, uh, I came up with five primary types. When you combine them, there's 16 of them. But there's the balance type that is actually seeing this pandemic as an opportunity to rethink their lives. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not in the past with regret or the future with fear, but they're managing it. I mean, no question it's stressful, but they're okay. And then there's the spontaneous. So that's type two, where it's in the middle of a pandemic and they're on the beach in Florida on spring break. It's like they just don't think about the consequences of their behavior. And there's this great study out of Stanford. It's the longest, largest longevity study ever done. They took 1,548 10-year-old children and then followed them for 90 years, looking at what goes with success, health, and longevity. And it wasn't happiness or a lack of worry. In fact, the don't worry, be happy people, so think of spring breakers in Miami during a pandemic, it's the don't worry, be happy people that die the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. And I always wanted to be one of them. I have an older brother that's like that, who's also 150 pounds overweight, mm-hmm. and I, but he just doesn't worry about anything, and I worry about a lot of things. And uh, it turned out the conscientious people Mm. live the longest. Mm. Um, Yeah, that if you said you were going to show up and you show up consistently, reliably, predictably, you live longer than everybody else. So type two is the spontaneous. Type three is the persistent people. They tend to worry. They hold grudges. 
if things don't go their way, they get upset, but they want things a certain way. And if it's not a certain way, they get upset. And I see all sorts of marital conflicts when two marries three. Oh, perfect. Which must happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Type four is the sensitive type, often lots of therapists, uh, but they can see the glasses half empty and really take on other people's pain. And five is the cautious type. And one might think they're the preppers and that they have been like my wife. She has been telling me that this pandemic is coming for 15 years. She was so prepared and... I am never going to have to do anything except apologize. Interesting. So so knowing your type, there are then strategies for each of the types. And then, well, what supplement or if you needed medication would be best for your type. So if we just go back to the addicts, the impulsive addicts will make sure they don't have ADD because if they really have ADD or ADHD and you don't treat it, they're likely not to follow through with managing their addiction. Um, If they're the persistent people, I'm in love with uh, plant medicine called saffron, that saffron has 20 randomized controlled trials, head-to-head, Prozac, Zoloft, Effexor, Mipramine, equally effective. It's also got placebo-controlled trials. How do you take that? Um, About 30 milligrams uh, a day. And the the research on it is spectacular. If you go to pubmed.gov and just go saffron and depression, you'll see it. It's also been found to be helpful for PMS, for, and as opposed to SSRIs, which hurt your sexual function in about 60% of cases, saffron is pro-sexual. So there's actually studies showing it increases desire and pleasure, um, and, and I like that because I used to hate when I would put someone on an SSRI and they would go, you know, I'm not depressed and I don't want to shoot myself anymore, but I can't have an orgasm and I'm wearing my wife out. Huh. Uh, so, Fascinating. so saffron is something that works really well for persistent and sensitive groups. I like GABA, magnesium, theanine for cautious group so it's an anti-anxiety sort of yeah and actually in the book i have a copy um there's a whole chapter on mind medicine versus nutraceuticals because you remember when we were in medical school like the first year they go first do no harm right use the least toxic most effective treatment and too many doctors go there's no science behind supplements. And my response usually is, do you read? Because there are 286 scientific references that in this one chapter in the book showing which have A-level scientific evidence for anxiety, depression, insomnia, and so on. And what I've just found is if you understand the science, um, there's just a lot less side effects. And it doesn't mean I don't prescribe medication. I do. But it's just not the first thing I think about. I, I'm looking at the available kind of saffron products. They're all over the place. How do, you, how do you figure out what to take? Well, I make one called Happy Saffron that has saffron, curcumins, and zinc. Um, because I found the same thing. It's like about all these preparations, uh, which is the best one to take. But but there are a number of them that are on the market that are really good. So I'm guessing, I'm just thinking about that. I, I'm sort of, uh, I, I want to get into the brain types and the sort of what's actually going on biologically with each of those. But I just had another thought, which is somebody uh, approached me and wanted to document all of this hallucinogen use that people are doing on their own. Um, in an attempt to manage addiction. Would you be interested in scanning those people before and after, or maybe you've already done it? 
Well, I actually just talked to Rusty, the guy that. Oh, works good. Here. Okay. All right. Good. And yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. Um, I have done an ibogaine study, and and I was actually opposed to it because the guy they were going to do it on, I had scanned him a couple of times, and his, he was an addict, and his brain was really bad when I met him. But then five months later, it's better, and four years later, it was normal. And he's like, well, I'm making this documentary and I want to see what it does. I'm like, but your brain's good. Why are you going to ruin my work? (laughs) And it did. His brain was not healthy afterwards. Um, But I think there's a lot of buzz. Well, people are are doing it. And and I want to understand what they're doing. They're just doing it. You know what I mean? And then no one seems to know what they're doing. And so I, I, I want to get, and it occurred to me just as soon as they were talking to me about it, I thought, oh, if, I, if Dan, Dr. Amon would do some scanning on this, it could, we could at least learn something about what they're doing. And I would be happy to. And okay. what we might find is who does well with it. Yeah. And who does it in fact hurt? And then why? Why that difference? And it could be the people that do well with it have a trauma pattern in their brain, an emotional trauma pattern in their brain. I published a big study on 21,000 people showing I can show the difference between PTSD, emotional trauma, and TBI, physical trauma, with pretty high levels of accuracy. What what, What is the pattern with emotional trauma? So it's called the diamond pattern in the brain there. Um, so if you're looking underneath the brain, it looks like a diamond. Their emotional brain is fired up. Their anterior cingulate, their basal ganglia, their thalamus, and often their right lateral temporal lobe is overactive. That sort of stores traumatic memories. And when it's active, you're reading other faces. You're always wanting to know are they going to hurt me? Right. And so it's, so we call it a diamond plus pattern and, and it's very consistent. So in the post- to, if you have traumatic brain injury, you see decreases, which just right. makes sense because you're damaging circuits. And uh, what is that? The cingulate gyrus where they, the face, the face zone. So the cingulate, I think of it as the brain's gear shifter. It yeah. allows you to go from thought to thought, move from idea to idea, be flexible, go with the flow. And when it works too hard, people get stuck on negative thoughts and negative behaviors. So they're type three, my persistent group, we often see their cingulate works too hard. And the most statistically consistent clinical finding with that is they tend to be argumentative and oppositional. So it's like, no matter what it is you say to them, they argue with you. So it's a nice day. Well, not that nice. It was nicer yesterday. And that's their immediate response. Well, like, like everything's a, well, it might be more amygdaloid, but, but like everything's a threat. Well, then there, that's their amygdala, which we also see is up. Um, and the problem is, is if your cingulate is up, and your frontal lobes are down, you can't supervise the thoughts you get stuck on. Right. The face, I was thinking, it was the fusiform gyrus. I don't know why I said singular. Right, which is on the underside of your temporal lobes, which yep. gets hurt often in traumatic brain injury. And in the, in the book, there's actually, um, to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And I have a mnemonic called Bright Minds, and the H in Bright Minds is head trauma, a major cause of psychiatric problems that nobody knows about because they don't, people don't look at the brain when they're suffering with mental health issues. And I'm imagining you said the fusiform is an area that gets injured in head trauma. There must, is there a bony ridge there or something that it comes up yes. again? Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of where, where that goes. Yeah. God should have put bumper guards uh, over the, the ridge is called the lesser wing of the sphenoid bone, but uh-huh. your amygdala and hippocampus are right next door. Perfect. Oh, 
so let's go back to the different brain types and talk about the what's going on. Uh, just going to break it down uh, biologically. The first is balanced. I'm guessing everything's kind of working in an integrated, balanced way, just like it sounds, right? And their cerebellum, which is, I call it the Rodney Dangerfield part of the brain. And I get starting to get really irritated because my young staff has no idea who that is. See if they know who Johnny Carson is. That'll really freak you out. <laughs> <laughs> but Rodney Dangerfield used to always say, I get no respect. So the cerebellum is 10% of the brain's volume, but it has half the brain's neurons, 50% of the brain's neurons and it's the cpu the central processing unit in the brain and if it works well you are coordinated but your your thoughts are also coordinated and that really helps balance you when it's hurt um, from head trauma or toxins alcohol directly is toxic to the cerebellum, which is why they have you walk a straight line and you can't because you're hurting your cerebellum. Um, it's just so important. And then type two, the spontaneous one, they have sleepy frontal lobes that are involved in things like forethought and judgment, impulse control, organization. And, planning. and do we, do, I mean, there's a lot of stuff from a interventional standpoint on the uh, dorsolateral free frontal cortex is that the kind of thing they respond well to yes so what activates your frontal lobes exercise Mm -hmm. does a high protein low carbohydrate diet helps Mm -hmm. um ginkgo just increases blood flow um tms you know, if you see sleepy frontal lobes, transcranial magnetic stimulation can help. Hyperbaric oxygen can help. Psychostimulants can help. Or stimulating supplements like green tea, rhodiola, ashwagandha, ginseng um, can all be helpful. Very interesting. Then the third type. The persistent type. That's where their cingulate gyrus and their frontal lobes, lateral frontal lobes, work too hard and so they tend to be worried and rigid and we want to raise serotonin and earlier in my career i do ssris and now i like serotonergic interventions again exercise sort of the universal treatment um if you put them on a high protein low carbohydrate diet you'll actually make them mean oh, focus more on the things set them. So Mm -hmm. I was on Rachel Ray and we were talking about this and she was the persistent type. And she said she tried the diet and she was so mean. She wondered why her husband didn't leave her. Mm -hmm. And so you can just try to lose weight. You know, here's this, you know, ketogenic diet people talk about all the time and end up divorced just because it didn't fit your brain so they do better with carbohydrates there's got to be some overlap syndrome because i i for instance i think i'm that i i went on the high protein diet and got had outbursts of anger that were very uncharacteristic um but then noticed hyper uh enhanced frontal function that persists to this day that I, that my cognition was just clearer and more, I don't know, just, I could tell it was that my frontal lobes were for, better word finding, all, all kinds of stuff improved. So there's a type six is actually my impulsive compulsive group. Often, I mean, I don't know about you, but often children are grandchildren of alcoholics and they have features of both. And uh, that's where we need to do an intervention to boost dopamine um, and one to boost serotonin. So that's where you just want to cheat a little bit with more sweet potatoes. Uh, so you focus, but not on just the things that piss you off. Well, the, the and, anger, the anger stuff completely went away after the first like two weeks. It was weird. So it seemed to anyway, maybe, maybe that's my perception. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you stayed with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It's been amazing. Yeah. Now, I, you know, the part of it I like, I have a granddaughter that has a seizure disorder, actually mm. a pretty wicked seizure disorder. And on the ketogenic diet, it went away. 
I've heard a lot of those stories. Yeah, heard a lot of those stories. It's definitely neuroactive. Let's put it that way. Definitely active in the brain. Um, All right, we're on number four now, I believe. So, and then there's the sensitive type, which, um, I mean, they're sensitive, they're deeply feeling, often empathic. And these are the ones that, these had also the, the parts of the temporal lobe, parietal lobe activating, right? The deep limbic structures, Got like it. the hippocampus and the thalamus, tend mm. to be really active. And if that's the only thing, you don't have the worry part, then I really like EPA fish oil. So mm. the studies on fish oil are fascinating. Um, the DHA, so think of omega-3s and two big components, EPA and DHA. And a lot of people think, oh, DHA for the brain, because the makes up a lot of the brain, mm-hmm. EPA for the heart. But we found for both ADD and depression, DHA doesn't work at all. It's EPA. So high levels of EPA have been shown to have an antidepressant effect and a focus effect uh, where DHA is better for anxiety and memory. So EPA fish oil and the supplement SAM E, so all capitals S A M, little E, S adenosyl methionine, in randomized placebo controlled trials shown to be a treatment for depression. Mm-hmm. Um, saunas also are really helpful. There's a study in JAMA Psychiatry that showed taking saunas, saunas was found to be a treatment for depression along with bright light therapy. Hmm. And so we actually make uh, our Bright Minds Bright Light Therapy. It's actually lighting the set yeah. for me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm just going to be happier if I sit in front of it for a half an hour every morning. It's been shown to increase mood, focus, energy, and it helps reset your circadian rhythm for sleep. To your point about exercise and light, I, I, I'm sort of prone to depression. And I noticed in, this, in the quarantine, I started slipping. And when I, and I, I always lift weights, but it wasn't doing it. And I, of course, I lift them in a dark garage. But I went out running for half an hour every day. And it made all the difference in the world. Really stunning, stunning difference. Wow. In the sunlight. And there's a, there's a study where they compared exercise to Zoloft. And at the end of 12 weeks, they were equally effective. At the end of 10 months, exercise beat the socks off Zola. Mm-hmm. All right, now we're on to number, number five. Which is cautious. Um, the, this is my anxious group, that they're often in the future with fear. And uh, we see their amygdala and their basal ganglia are activated. And so we want to calm that down And things like GABA and magnesium. They also need to learn how to kill the ants. I call them automatic negative thoughts, the thoughts that come into your mind automatically and ruin your day. Uh You don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. But these type five, they're masterful at fortune telling ants. That's where they arbitrarily are predicting things are going to turn out badly, even though they don't have evidence. And so I teach my patients to develop an internal anteater to get the ants <laughs> out hysterical. of your head. If, if those of you can't see what he's doing, he's holding up actual a, a big stuffed ant and then a big stuffed anteater. <laughs> uh, I, I skipped over something I'm not sure I heard you say. You, you hate the word mental illness. Do you have a different nomenclature that you think we should be using? Brain health issues. Just brain health, yeah. Brain health. The end of mental illness will begin with a revolution in brain health. And that's why, you know, I always love your work and I love you helping me spread this message. Um, I did a program with Rick Warren and Mark Hyman um, called The Daniel Plan for Saddleback Church, the first week 15,000 people signed up the first year they lost a quarter of a million pounds and now thousands of churches around the world have done the Daniel plan and I know we can change our society if we get groups of people 
um, coming up with just a different way to think about it. And mental illnesses are skyrocketing. I mean, it's embarrassing. And our outcomes in psychiatry are not better than they were in the 1950s, which should just horrify everybody. Um, and it's because the paradigm's wrong. Um, when we think of, oh, you have a neurotransmitter disorder, even though nobody's looking, and we're lumping everybody with depression into one category like we do with chest pain. I mean, you would never give everybody the diagnosis of chest pain. That's right, because right? it doesn't tell you what causes it or what to do for it. But that's what we do in psychiatry. And I'm like, I'm done with it. It's like, no, we have to end mental illness, start calling these things what they are, brain health issues that steal your mind. And how do you take care of your brain? I know how to take care of people's brains. And you would want to see me if you thought you could have a better brain. You don't want to see me if you think I'm going to give you a stigmatizing label that um, separates you from um, your sense of joy and purpose. And I, I, there, there are groups out there that are sort of um, working strictly in, I don't, I don't know how to call it. I guess it's brain health, brain enhancement maybe, uh, but aren't necessarily trained uh, in, in psychiatric psycho, psychopathology, that stuff that, and the overlap with the brain and the psychopathogenesis. Um, do you work with any of those guys? Well, the people who, so do you see like brain training and things like that? Brain training and then neurotropics and things. There's a lot of stuff out there. I think UCLA has got a big room. I'll try to find the name of it. Um, you, you know, we work with lots of people. I, I, I'm just so excited about trying to change the paradigm. Yeah. And so, for example, people with schizophrenia. Um, if you if you took a map of the United States and you just highlighted the highest areas with schizophrenia. And then you took a map of the United States and you highlighted the highest areas with Lyme disease. You would basically find they're identical. Okay. Now, does that mean Lyme always causes schizophrenia? Absolutely not. But if you get a diagnosis that is a severe chronic progressive disease, somebody should be looking for Lyme. You should at least get screened for it. I have a case of a 16-year-old girl who was normal until she went on vacation to Yosemite. And when they got to their cabin, they were surrounded by six deer. And they thought it was a magical moment. Right. But two days later, she's hallucinating. She's delusional. She's aggressive. They put her in the hospital, psych hospital at Kaiser, and she's diagnosed with schizophrenia. But the meds don't work. She goes to another psych hospital, schizophrenia. The doctor trained at Stanford told the mother she had to accept the diagnosis and encourage her daughter to take the meds. Well, if you knew the mother, she's not like that. And six months later, she brings her to us. She's a shell of herself, but her brain's on fire. I'm like, why is her brain on fire? And for us, that means she could have inflammation. We worked it up and she had Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And on an antibiotic and hyperbaric oxygen, over the next six months, she got her brain back. Wow. And this was about seven years ago. She's now graduated from Pepperdine. She has a master's degree from the University of London. And every day about noon, I get a text from her mother, how can I pray for you today? And how many people have just gone down the rabbit hole of hell for psychiatry and just went, oh, well, I have this, so I have to take that. And no one's ever looked to see if they have toxoplasmosis or they have mold exposure or all the reasons I talk about in the book. Uh, that can give you quote mental illness that are not. I can't find the name of that group in Culver city that uh, I like, but I'm sure you know these guys. Uh, All right. Now in the book, you also talk about simple things you can do to heal your brain. And now we've talked about sort of supplements, what kinds of other simple things. And I guess you've said exercise and sunlight and uh, imagine there's other little simple things. 
Well, I talk about tiny habits. You know, what's the smallest thing you can do today that'll make the biggest difference? And in a pandemic, I have three. Uh, whenever I wake up, I do this all the time. I just, I say to myself, as soon as my feet hit the floor, today is going to be a great day. Mm. Why? Because then my unconscious mind will help me out and find what I'm looking forward to. As I go through the day, the mother tiny habit, the most important tiny habit takes three seconds, is when I go to make a decision, I just ask myself this question, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if I love myself that day, I'm going to choose the right thing because ultimately it's not that I should do it. Who wants to do that? It's because I care about myself. I love myself. And that's why I make good decisions. And then before I go to bed at night, for me, I say a prayer and then I go, what went well today? And I put myself to sleep every night with reviewing my day, looking for what went well. Because what that does is actually sets up my dreams to be more positive. Prayer is an interesting uh, behavior as well. Do you get into that much? So I've studied it, actually. I did a fascinating study last year. on. Um, so we did an imaging study on... Um, conversational prayer, I pray for you, on speaking in tongues, which is an evangelical practice, uh, prophecy and discernment. And we actually, and and the hypothesis was when you speak in tongues, because what that means is you're channeling the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit talked about in the book of Acts in the New Testament, that you're channeling the Holy Spirit. And there's actually published studies, spec studies on channelers. <laughs> and when you channel, and I've gotten to scan on the Dr. Oz show, the Long Island medium, Teresa Caputo, um, what happens is they drop the activity in their brain, which makes sense so that you can, you know, if, you, if you're going to channel, you have to turn down the noise in your head so you can hear the frequency that's coming through you. Well, about 60% of our group um, dropped the function in their brain, especially in their frontal lobes. One guy, his nucleus accumbens, that's the pleasure center in the brain, just went pop. I mean, it just flamed like he'd just gotten a hit of new love or cocaine. So I'm like, I bet you do this a lot. Mm. Also, and I don't know if you've interviewed Andy Newberg, but you guys would love each other. No, um, I, I, Gary, get that, get that going. What's he up to? He wrote the book, Why Won't God Go Away? Hmm. And he's uh, a nuclear medicine doctor uh, from Thomas Jefferson, but he did the original study on Tibetan monks and Franciscan nuns on prayer and meditation. And yeah, he, you guys would just love each other. He's so smart. He was in the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? Oh, right, 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 right. He's a scientist. Uh, but um, he and I, we published three studies on a Kundalini yoga form of meditation, showing it activates the frontal lobes, but it calms down your parietal lobes, top back of your brain, so you lose your sense of space and time but it actually gives you more empathy, which is a frontal lobe function. And then we did a study on Qigong, uh, which is um, an Eastern practice, but we had a Chinese, um, a Qigong master direct energy to other people and showed how he changed their brain, um, which I thought was really fun and interesting. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I found the Culver City Institute, the Peak Brain Institute, Dr. Hill at the Peak Brain Institute. And he and I wired up uh, Tyler Henry, speaking of the uh, psychics, and did a continuous EEG on him. And we found exactly the same thing, that his brain went into essentially a sleep state. It, it was like it was, hype, it was hyperactive in some of the deeper structures, but the rest of the brain was asleep with these very strange uh, spike, spike wake activi activities we couldn't sp explain. 
Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, and that's why I love imaging. Um, but I get irritated sometimes when Pepsi and Home Depot can use functional imaging to see what advertisements people will respond to or what colors on packaging. But I get criticized because I want to do it for complex psychiatric cases. So. Do, you scan, do you scan everybody or do you, uh, is, is there, do you have criteria for who gets a scan kind of thing? Um, almost everybody, because that's actually why they come to see us. Yeah. Because they have failed on average 3.3 providers and five mm-hmm. medications. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously during the pandemic, we're not scanning everybody. Um, we have about 7,000 patient visits a month. And, you know, most of them now are virtual. Is there any, uh, just a, just a, maybe even an unfair question, but are there any trends in the population at large? In other words, is there any kind of predominant brain type, personality type, mood patterns, anything you're seeing that are sort of emerging as more common than others? Um, well, certainly autism has just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. It was not on our radar at all in 1991. Um, and any theories about that? I think it's a combination of an environmental insult, like the toxins we put on our bodies, with genetic vulnerability. So you have the genes to be obsessive and rigid, and then your brain got assaulted. And uh, it's, you know, it's clearly, it's, it's, it's not vaccines or just vaccines um it's more complicated than that mm-hmm. um, but i have vaccine damaged scans where you know the government's vaccine program is paying them because they're damaged and they don't look good but uh, that is never popular for me to talk about mm. and, and so autism anything else um, traumatic brain injury it's yeah. shocking to me, the level, there are 3 million head traumas every year in the United States. Mm-hmm. And most people live. So just do the math. Over the last 40 years, that means there's probably 100 million people who are struggling with the effects of traumatic brain injury. And according to the U.S. government, 51% of us at some point in our life will have a mental health, brain health challenge. Mm. And I think it's, it's at epidemic proportions and no one knows the fall you had down the stairs when you were seven is driving your diagnosis of bipolar disorder or is driving your addiction because you hurt your frontal lobes. I got to scan um, these twins, and one was an anchor at a news station. That's why she got interested in my work, and so we did a whole show on it. And then I scanned her sister. They're identical twins. She's wildly successful, and her sister's not, not mm-hmm. like not close. You know, one graduated with honors from college and one barely got out of high school. And it's like, why? Um, you know, they had the same environmental. But when I did the history and you could see the frontal lobe damage and um, the one who was struggling is when they were 10 years old, she fell off the top of a bunk bed and had a mild traumatic brain injury. She was unconscious for about 10 minutes. Oh, boy. It devastated the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows that. You know, I mean, I've been screaming about it. And there's a whole literature on undiagnosed brain injuries are a major cause of anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, ADHD, learning problems, and homelessness. But most people, by and large, you know, they look at the homeless person and then it's like, well, why won't you stop your addiction? Or I hear you talking all the time about these are mental health issues. You know, I just switched that to these are brain health. Yeah, I have no problem saying brain issues. No problem. And um, nobody's addressing that. Housing isn't going to fix. 
that more money isn't going to fix it, just like it's not going to fix the incarceration problem, which in this country is scandalous, I think. And we don't rehabilitate anybody. It's about vengeance. Um, Dostoevsky said, you can tell about the soul of a society, not by how it treats its outstanding citizens, but by how it treats its criminals. Well, I always always think it's so ironic that uh, Alex de Tocqueville came here to study our penitentiary system in uh, 1820 because it was the admiration of the world. We, we it, penitence was was had in, in these units and rehabilitation, and uh, boy, we've slipped since then. It's it's sad, um, but that's why you know every day I wake up optimistic. It's you know, <laughs> whose, brain, whose brain can we change today? Well, it's and you the also stories I love in the book. You also talk to about how to find providers that are capable of doing this. Give us a little primer on that. So I have a brain health coaching certification course, and we've had about 4,000 people in 56 countries take that. And so at amenclinics.com, there's actually a directory of the people who want to be on it. Uh, And the book is so practical. Um, It goes, well, which risk factors do I have and what can I do in a simple way to counteract these risk factors. And you don't have to get a scan. I mean, a long time ago, I realized not everybody can get scanned. Here are simple things to get your brain and keep it healthy. Again, the book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addiction, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. We've not talked about PTSD. Give me a little bit about primer on that. It's very common there, and it's going to get way worse, um, especially among healthcare providers. I'm actually an Army-trained psychiatrist. I trained at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center, and my first published paper was on post-Vietnam stress disorder, and I called it a metaphor for current and past life events, that who got PTSD? What we discovered is people who grew up with trauma. So it's often not just about the assault that you went through or the accident. It was the foundation of trauma that set your brain up for it. And as we talked about, what we see is this diamond plus pattern in the brain. So the trauma, so for example, if you grew up in an alcoholic home, that was my main research interest because my first wife grew up in a severely abusive alcoholic home. And a couple of months after we got married, when I was in medical school, she tried to kill herself. Mm -hmm. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her that ultimately it helped me, it helped our kids, even our grandkids. And I've loved psychiatry for 40 years. But if you grow up in that traumatic, unpredictable environment, it kindles your nervous system to overfire. And unless you purposefully do things to calm it down, um, you struggle for the rest of your life with being over overly sensitive and anxious, and you're filled with what I call these ants, the automatic negative thoughts. So doing things to retrain your brain to be calmer and healthier is really helpful. I'm a huge fan of a treatment called EMDR, Mm. which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I actually did a study, an imaging study, sort of like the one you and I were talking about earlier with EMDR on police officers who had been involved in shootings and subsequently developed PTSD and couldn't go to work. Well, all of them went back to work. And what we found is they all had that diamond pattern in the brain that after an average of just eight sessions calmed down and then they were able to go back to work. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. EMDR is amazing. Amazing. Describe again the diamond, the diamond pattern. So if you're looking underneath the brain, yeah. the top diamond, top point of the diamond is the anterior cingulate. Anterior just means toward the front. 
um, the sides are the basal ganglia and the amygdala, and the bottom is the thalamus. So when you see that, and often right lateral temporal lobe, that part of your brain that sort of is reading the faces of other people, are you dangerous or are you safe? So we see that diamond plus pattern. And so, um, and, and I think the importance of that paper I published separating PTSD from TBI is, well, how do you know what it really is in a soldier? Because many of them have experienced blast injuries and they've also experienced emotional trauma. Yep. And one, PTSD, you want to calm down their emotional brain. So you use treatments to settle things down where one, you need to stimulate and repair. And so if you don't know what you're doing because you never looked, you could actually hurt people, um, which is not a good thing. Not a good thing. I agree with that. Not a good thing hurting people. Well, Dan, as always, it's a pleasure and enlightening. And um, I, I, I want to read the book. I can't wait to get my hands on it. So uh, it sounds like uh, Saffron is in my future, <laughs> amongst other things, <laughs> as well as continued exercise and bright lights. Uh, and I, I like the idea of uh, prayer and positive thoughts at the end of the day. I mean, that, that can, that, those kinds of simple interventions can really help people. Yeah, along with making sure you know your vitamin D level and your C-reactive protein. Um, so make sure you send me your address and I'll send you a gift package. Done and done, my friend. Great to talk to you. Everybody go get the book. I can't wait to read it. Again, the book is The End of Mental Illness. I think you just there's, there's a, long, a long subtitle after that includes how neuroscience is transforming psychiatry, et cetera, et cetera, but just for the end of mental illness. And uh, I, I have always said, I don't know why we treat the organ above our neck different than the organs below our neck. Uh, and just, I, I like change. I, I like the idea of changing the nomenclature to brain health. Why not? Because it's just about, it is just that organ we're talking about. Well, let's do the truth. And the truth is, get your brain right and your mind will follow. Daniel Amen, everybody, at Doc Amen and also amenclinics.com. It's all there. And thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D R D R E W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 